Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Friday, February 9, 2024. The United Nations says children in Sudan have gone through 300 days of horror, abuse and hunger. The consequences of the past 300 days mean that more than 700,000 children are likely to suffer the most dangerous form of malnutrition this year. And South Sudanese have taken their battle on the social media ahead of the country's scheduled elections for December 2024. Spaddling of unverified information, a lot of bickering, negative conversations taking place. Uh, people having live shows on Facebook. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. UNICEF reports 300 days of conflict in Sudan have unleashed a wave of atrocities on children with many suffering from hunger, violence and horrific abuse. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The United Nations Children's Fund reports 4 million children in Sudan have been displaced in what is seen as the largest displacement of children in the world. To break down the magnitude of this crisis, UNICEF notes 13,000 children have been displaced every day for the past 300 days into a situation of chaos and despair. UNICEF spokesperson James Elder, who has just returned from Sudan, says these children have lost everything. They have lost all their possessions. Many are separated from family and friends. He says they are not safe from the fighting raging around them and have lost hope that things will get better. The consequences of the past 300 days mean that more than 700,000 children are likely to suffer the most dangerous form of malnutrition this year. UNICEF won't be able to treat more than 300,000 of those without improved access and without additional support. In that case, tens of thousands would likely die. During the same period, Elder says there's been a five-fold increase in verified cases of killings, sexual violence and child recruitment from a year ago. That, he says, equates to a terrifying number of children killed, raped or recruited. He says the war between Sudan's National Army and the paramilitary rapid support forces is ravaging a whole society, destroying the health and nutrition systems and destroying families and their ability to fend for themselves and protect themselves. Elder warns the war is killing the very people who could nurture and productively develop the country. He says this is a war that is destroying the future of an entire generation. But this is also a war-destroying opportunity, and that destroys a country. The true cost of war isn't measured just in casualties, but also in the loss of intellectual capital. And this war risks condemning Sudan to a future bereft of learning, innovation, progress and hope. Elder says the only way to get out of the situation is to negotiate a ceasefire and ensure aid is no longer blocked. However, with no ceasefire in sight, he says aid agencies must negotiate with the warring parties for safe humanitarian access across conflict lines and across borders. He adds the support of international donors is essential to help the many at-risk children to survive.
Martin Griffiths is the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator. Earlier this week, he said he has been in touch with Sudan's rival generals, Armed Forces Commander General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and RSF leader General Mohamed Hamdan. He says he was trying to bring them together to begin negotiations for aid access. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. An estimated 4 billion people around the world have or are scheduled to vote in national elections through 2024. That includes South Sudan. While the candidates and the issues differ in each country, one big concern is uniting vote watchers. VOA's Valdia Baraputri has the story. In the weeks leading up to Indonesia's February 14th elections, voters have been inundated with manipulated video and audio or deepfakes of politicians. Like this video of the late Indonesian president Suharto spread via social media. Fact-checkers like Santi Indra Astuti of the Indonesian anti-defamation community, Mafindo for short, say the use of generative artificial intelligence is what sets disinformation campaigns apart in 2024. During the 2014 elections, most of the hoaxes were used to discredit the opposing candidates. In 2019, hoaxes began to discredit election organizers. While in 2024, we've seen an even more bizarre escalation to discredit the whole democratic process. On its website, Turnback Hoax, Mafindo revealed a deepfake phone conversation in which Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle boss Megawati Sukarno Putri harshly reprimands presidential candidate Ganjar Pranowo. Other videos show presidential hopefuls Anis Baswedan and Prabowo Subianto fluently speaking Arabic, which none of them do in reality to appeal to the nation's Muslim voters. Hoaxes are no longer just to discredit opponents, but some seem intended to glorify their chosen candidate. The U.S. has just started primary elections ahead of general elections in November, and already AI is posing a challenge. In one doctored robocall, President Joe Biden appears to encourage Democrats to stay home from the polls. Um, AI-generated media from robocalls to deep fake audio to campaign ads are being featured in almost every election that we're seeing both in the end of 2023 and now into 2024. So I think this is becoming the new norm for our political and electoral landscape. Most voters who spoke to VOA say they're not confident that they can tell deep fakes and real content apart. So we're just hoping that the news does their job. It is probably going to be next to impossible to really stop. Safeguards are being put in place at federal level. President Biden signed an executive order in October urging government agencies to issue guidelines designed to protect consumers from AI hoaxes. But such measures have not been that effective, Gorman says. Right now, there is no requirement that actually we have to label that piece of content is AI generated, even if it is a a piece of content used for a political 
campaign or, or political mis- and disinformation. AI company Deep Media, contracted by the U.S. Department of Defense to detect deepfakes, estimates a half a million deepfake audio or video clips were spread globally through 2023. Analysts fear that will only go higher during this politically charged year. Valdia Baraputri, VOA News, Washington. From Washington, we move to South Sudan as the country prepares for elections. The social media could turn into a battlegrounds with some exiled South Sudanese spreading misinformation and false claims about the country. There are growing numbers of WhatsApp forums and WordPress online publications. Some opponents of President Salva Kiir in the diaspora are busy on Facebook spreading unverified information about events in South Sudan. My colleague Nabil Biagio spoke with Jogmadu Jog to understand why some South Sudanese are abusing the social media. And you can ask any social media participant in South Sudan whether social media is a good thing or a bad thing for democracy, for example. And you will probably get something like uh, 50 to 60 percent of people saying that it is a good thing, that they that it has facilitated ordinary citizen participation in in the politics of their country. But there are also uh, possibilities that social media can be used to to less positive ends, if you wish, uh, such as peddling of unverified information. A lot of bickering, negative conversations taking place. Uh, people having live shows on Facebook or uh, uh, about uh, family affairs, about uh, really private things. So, in in that sense, I would say uh, social media may have contributed negatively to maintenance of what you might call. Uh, mainstream values or customs or uh, uh, say customs or values around you know um, good behavior or uh, around integrity and 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 moral compass uh, each society has is being sort of supplanted or uh, uh, affected negatively by the ability of everybody from children to to old men and old women and everybody in between uh, simply getting online and recording their voice or pictures uh, on things that would otherwise be uh, be uh, shunned or frowned upon by society there but it is really in the area of the political activism and political engagement the democracy issue, the uh, freedom of expression, uh, the debate on whether South Sudan should have elections or should not, or whether elections uh, coming up will be will be f- credible, uh, uh, authentic, and and fair. Uh, that debate is really really useful, in in in, in and that is being facilitated in advance by by social media. And yes, I would like to focus on this last point, like political issues, the elections, uh, information. As an active participant yourself in these diaspora groups and forums online, and in you know via messaging apps, how do you think these platforms influence 
the political landscape and electoral processes within the country. How can such discussions effectively amplify, in other words, the voices of the diaspora or contribute, or maybe it contributes to polarization and misinformation? I think it cuts both ways, really. Um, on the on the positive side, uh, which is uh, the side arming the ordinary citizen with the capacity to voice their opinion, uh, I think it is uh, it is really influencing things, uh, influencing even the political actions and political behavior of the leaders uh, in South Sudan. Uh, we we we've seen many times when people will make a lot of fuss on WhatsApp or Facebook for a couple of days, and then soon after that, uh, that issue will will be decided upon at a very high level of government. So it can be leverage even to put pressure on on people on the ground, government officials and uh, influential actors in South Sudan. That's what you seem to be saying. But how can these platforms be leveraged to ensure accurate information dissemination and constructive and civic civic uh, discourse mm-hmm. among diaspora communities and back home, you know, in, in light of the upcoming elections? Well, that is the issue and that is the challenge, right, about how the pressure that the citizens put on their on their leaders at the local level or state level or in in the national government how much is this pressure really well informed in terms of what should be what the government should decide and i think that is where there is a serious question because some of the pressure uh, being exerted on government sometimes can come from uh, sources that are not verified uh, and as a result, if if the government leaders were to act on these things based on ill-informed pressure, then it could backfire. Say, for example, on the issue of elections and security, right now there is a serious uh, online battle going on around the country on uh, whether the security situation uh, that is prevailing today, say the war between Twitch and Ngok. In Abia, yes. Uh, the war within uh, Warap in North, in Tony North, or in, or between uh, Apuk and 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 Wau, and between Agwok and Kwech, uh, and not to speak of the most volatile uh, region of Upper Nile and Yongle. All these conflicts there are ongoing a lot of people say that somebody is behind all this making it impossible for the government to hold elections but but what is really going on is that the country is unsafe to begin with elections or no elections that's Jokmadu Jok, the co-founder of the Juba-based Sard Institute. He spoke with my colleague Nabil Biagio from Sarikis, New York, earlier today. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Coming up, a rebel group holds Ugandan hostages. Find out where after the break.
Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation, and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Our words of wisdom for today comes from Western Equatorial State. A very good evening to VOA Africa. My name is uh, Tomoyo David. I'm having a proverb in Zande language. It reads, Which means you cannot do bad to those who raise you up, who take care of you for you to become whom you are or you don't harm them. That is the meaning of the proverb. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus. Uganda's government is working with the international immigration for international organization rather for immigration to secure the release and repatriation of Ugandans allegedly held hostage by rebel groups in Myanmar. Some opposition members say they are Hundreds of Ugandan hostages, but the government says it has details of only 30 nationals. Catherine Nambi reports for VOA from Kampala. Opposition lawmaker Mwadan Kunyinji is calling on the government to expedite the release of Ugandans thought to be held hostage by rebel groups in Myanmar. Mwada says he started receiving calls from the relatives of the hostages late last year. The number of Ugandans from our counting is 450 and they are likely to be more. The matter at hand is urgent. These are Ugandans in the hands of rebels. We must look at remedial and urgent measures to rescue these stranded Ugandans. The Minister of Foreign Affairs and our embassies ought to give regular and timely travel advice to Ugandans. Prime Minister Robin Nabanja says government has confirmed that many Ugandans and nationals of other countries were lured to Thailand by ads for high-paying jobs posted on fictitious websites. Instead, they were taken to Myanmar, allegedly to fight for rebel groups. It's unclear how long they have been held or if there are ransom demands. Many of them are younger people with technology skills. However, International Organization for Migration promised that they are going to help us get in touch with the government of Myanmar and see how our youth can be rescued because they have rescued some. I'm told in Uganda here they have rescued like four. John Molimba, Uganda's Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, met last month with Myanmar government officials. It was agreed that Uganda and Myanmar establishes bilateral relations and create cooperation frameworks in immigration and anti-human trafficking, among others. Government officials say they are collecting information on the hostages to help locate them. It is asking family members to let them know how they left the country and the people they were in contact with before leaving. Uganda's high unemployment, especially among the youth, has forced many to seek jobs in other countries. Available statistics indicate more than 200,000 Ugandans left the country to work in the Middle East between 2016 and 2022. But many who left illegally are undocumented 
and it is not known where they went. This is Catherine Nambi for VOA News in Kampala. From Kampala, we move to Ghana, where the CEO of the Ghana Tourism Authority says Ghana has always been in the forefront of the Pan-African movement. Uh, Kwasi Ajiman explains to VOS James Batty, Ghana is engaged in several activities with the, with the diaspora as part of its initiative called Beyond and Beyond the Return, the follow-up to the successful campaign called Year of Return. There are a few things that we are doing. I mean, in keeping to our project called Beyond the Return, which is a 10-year project celebrating African Renaissance, we have different engagements. Uh, back home, we are collaborating with the African-American Association of Ghana. So there are a series of activities, lectures, film shows, conversations that are going on. And then in the U.S., we have a partnership with Howard University, which we know is one of the most influential HBCUs that has churned out very, very prominent and influential African-Americans. And so this partnership dates about three years ago. So every year we engage Howard University and its students on activities to celebrate Black History Month. This year, we have two players that we are using. There is a film called Tuntum. Tuntum is a local dialect. It means black. And this film is an animated movie that traces the origin of the black man. And so that is going to be premiered at Howard University on the 21st of February. And then on the 22nd, another pillar we are using is the music. And so one of our finest musicians, Samini, who is doing a tour in the U.S., will engage with the Warner Music Center at Howard University to talk about black music, the African music, how the junction between African music and American hip-hop, I mean, how these two could be fused and how we could jointly promote music between Africans on the continent and Africans in the diaspora. There is a Black History Festival that is also happening, being put together by a group from Ghana. This is the third year, and that is also something that showcases the various investment opportunities on the continent and in Ghana, and then also highlights some of the talent that we have here. Of course, we cannot talk about Black history without mentioning Ghana, because uh, the history of African-Americans also has its roots for Africa, particularly Ghana. Yes, I mean, Ghana has been in the forefront in the Pan-African movement. The fact that we were the first country in sub-Saharan Africa to gain independence. The fact that our first president was trained in the United States at the Lincoln University. He came back and joined the group that were already fighting for independence and he became the leader, the new nation, and he invited a lot of African-Americans to come to the continent. And so people like Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, and all of them came to Ghana around the time to support 
Watch was a new nation. Subsequently, W.B. Du Bois, who was a friend of Nkrumah, George Padmore, all of them came to Ghana, and indeed, they relocated to Ghana permanently. So we, from the inception of our, the nation Ghana, have been in the forefront of this conversation between Africans on the continent and Africans in the diaspora. That's Akwasi Ajiman, the CEO of the Ghana Tourism Authority. He spoke with VOA's James Batty earlier today. It's time to hear your comments on what we always talk about here within the week. And we start with a voice note. This is Peter Gochanyang, Machangdun, in the town of Pochala. As African Cup of Nations is coming to an end, I wish success to the Black Elephant of Nigeria to win this Cup of Nations this year. Go, go, Aina, go, go. The Cup should go to Nigeria, hopefully this year. Thank you. Hello, Bill. I am Tokyo, New South Sudan. It is sad news to me to hear South Sudanese citizens killing themselves from uh, Greater Barrizal, Greater Equatoria, and Greater Panal. I am here by calling the leaders of South Sudan to deploy the necessary unified policies, national security, South Sudan police service, recent service, uh, fire brigade, wildlife service, and army to protect the people of South Sudan from random killing. The issue of development of the forces, to me, it is a one now killing our citizens, but there is no full protection. Thank you very much. And a listener who did not mention his or her name writes, Hello, VOA South Sudan in focus. John Tanza and Nabil Biagio. South Sudan is a beautiful country which is not fit to be ruled by the military because military lacks quality, good leadership. It's supposed to be managed by civilian government, not military personnel. Let's copy the legacy of good, good leadership from late Nelson Mandela of South Africa. James Roy Majok from Unity State Bantu writes, Nabil and John... I'm appealing to South Sudan President Salva Kiir and his vice, Riek Machar Teng, to intervene and help South Sudanese citizens who are killing themselves days and nights across the 10 states and the three administrative areas, especially Thurale County and Abie Administrative Area, Wau, Jongle, and its neighboring Greater Pibor Administrative Area. The Murle youth are killing loanware and abduction is taking place every day. President Kir and your Vice President Machar, without your intervention, there will be no one who will vote for you when elections comes in December 2024. These are words of this listener. Thomas Kuhn talk in Old Fangak Payam, Fangak County writes, Hello, VOA. I am writing from Kakuma, and I'm happy that our people are going for elections this year. May the Almighty God bless those who are going to stand for us and bring everlasting peace. Mal Adao Mal in Washington, Seattle writes, Hello, John and Nabil. I would wish to ask my fellow South Sudanese, especially those so-called politicians, this question, who own South Sudan. As things stand on the ground, this country is in coma, and it needs to be resuscitated from the Frankstein monsters, or else we are at the remorse of having our own country, South Sudan, at 
that pressures cost millions of life. Solomon from Torit writes, it's unfortunate to hear people dying each day. I don't know when will revenge killing stop in South Sudan. I'm so worried about the future. Tut Jok Gok writes, what happened in Abye is not lawful for the attackers to kill humanitarian workers. I urge the government of South Sudan to intervene. Views expressed here do not represent the views of VOA nor this program. Keep your comments coming and we shall sample them every Friday. Our number is plus one two zero two six three eight eight zero one one. And that's all we prepared for you this Friday, February 9, 2024. We now leave you with the song Bambe Makeimod by Simon Kero. Simon Kero with that song, Bambe, my Kaimot. You need to listen to him carefully. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer, Saida Hamdun, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Zaman barat zede marana madairo Ya 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 bai guri chugwage Ya 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 bai guri chugwage Washini du